0: When they chased you, you ran. And if you were a step too slow, or if you twisted an ankle and went sprawling in the hot sand, then you were dead. Correction, if they chased you, you were dead already. It was only a matter of time before your heart stopped pumping and your blood ran red to stain the ground where you fell. The young man with the light brown skin knew none of this. He simply ran faster and faster beneath the gathering clouds until his side hurt and his chest pounded. He had no thought as to where he was running to, just as long as it was away, away from the horror behind him, away from the atrocity that his mind wished it had never seen. He ran until each stride sent waves of pain through his body, and still he kept moving, although now the run became a trot, then a fast walk, then a shuffle, and then the young man had to stop. Only for a moment, he told himself as he collapsed in the sand, just to catch his breath. His eyes closed as exhaustion overtook him. After running most of the night and through the early morning, even fear could not keep it at bay. So, in the hot sand, under the hot sun, mere yards from the lapping waves, the young man slept. He didn't notice the passing minutes, didn't stir as the dark clouds moved in and blocked out the sun. He never heard the terrible wings that flapped closer never felt the foul breeze of their approach but he felt the weight that pressed down on his back and that jarred him back to consciousness the young man opened his eyes and tried to rise but the
1: weight held him fast this is dark and stormy nights the podcast where we read the first page and only the first page of every novel ever written. I'm your host, Ben Blackberg.
0: And I'm your other host, Ben Lebate.
1: And tonight, we're reading the first page of Torg Storm Nights by Greg Gordon and Bill Slavisek, published in 1990 by West End Games. And our guest tonight is Rachel Jones. Welcome back, Rachel.
2: Hello, hello. Welcome back. Nice to be back. Mm-hmm.
1: So I think... The, the first question, obviously, for this uh, should be, are you a fan of Bill Slavisek's role-playing <laughs> games? I, Do we think I'm saying his name correctly? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I have never heard of him in my entire life.
1: <laughs> you know, I right.
0: I'm, now I'm going to Google him. Oh, it's funny. If I Google him, the first thing that comes up is his Wikipedia entry.
1: <laughs> oh, yes. No, he is. So he is one of the people whose name I recognize. Oh. Uh, mostly from his TSR... Uh, dark sun work oh he's a dark sun guy he's been so uh besides being only a few years older than us uh <laughs> more than me uh he uh was like line editor or he was creative director for west end games and uh is i guess was the was responsible for a lot of their star wars work oh oh wow uh, which So this was (laughs) this was during the like uh, interregnum, let's say, Mm. after the original trilogy and before much of anything else. Yeah. This was the like maybe they were publishing books stage. Yeah. Um,
0: Interregnum is a really good term for that, which I'm going to use going forward.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, uh, Like, I guess you could say like interfilmum, but that Mm. doesn't really.
0: Millennials do not understand the interregnum.
1: Yeah. Like, there there was a time when you couldn't get anything from Star Wars or uh, Star Wars related, except for the role playing game. But apparently, like the role playing game did such good work. And this was the thing that like, as a young role playing nerd, I used to like hold as, as a badge of honor, that like, the role playing game was so good that they used to send books of it to the novelists that they hired. Hmm. Uh, to like so like this is this is the background of these worlds that like we don't see in the movies and it was just like oh my like oh, wow. this is all official canon and I was just like like yes this is what role playings are Ro- role playing games can be like so good that they're they're canon for books that have to do with movies that yeah are not uh, in the public eye <laughs> that much right now mm-hmm. and of course now that they are in the public eye there's that whole issue about the uh, the what do we say? The uncanonization of that work? Mm, the decanonization? Yeah, put put. You know, what what do they call it now? Star Wars Legends? Yep. Where it's like, well, oh. that's the way it could have gone, but like this is actually how our 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 ride is going to go. Mm.
2: Is that how they took care of it? It's interesting.
1: I think I think that's that's the current the current standpoint.
0: Yeah, essentially all the all the extended universe stuff got decanonized, and I'm like, yeah, it's it's there. You can read it and enjoy it. We'll probably use some bits of it.
1: Yeah, and it is it. It is interesting, like, the same thing happens with, like, role-playing games,
2: mm-hmm.
1: especially as they, like, as new editions come out, uh, and I can't remember who pointed this out to me at one point, but, like, like when you spend a certain amount of time with, say, the Forgotten Realms, and you're used to, like, oh, yes, like, the bad guys are, like, the Red Wizards of Fae, mm-hmm. and then they come out with, like, a new version that, like, there was some cataclysm, and now these are the new rules, and also there's no more Red Wizards of Fae or something, yep. like, it can feel like... Your, your previous mastery of a subject uh, is now no longer worth anything. Except it still is, because like, you could still play your game. But mm. it, it feels less valid, because it is not supported by anything external.
2: Mm.
1: <laughs> anyway, I could talk about role-playing game history uh, all day. But we're here <laughs> to talk about Torg, Storm Knights. Uh, so... Going into this, I guess, actually, my first question. Uh, Vin, this is from your library. Yes. I I assume you are familiar with uh, this book or Torg in some level. Yes. On some level. I read uh,
0: a couple of these books. um, When did this come out? Yeah, in the early 90s. And I had the role-playing game box set. And it was one of those things that, like, sort of hit at a time where it became part of my, like, foundational, like, fictional vocabulary. And it's, you know, you know how sometimes you have one of those obscure things that's like a very fundamental part of the way you think of fiction, but no one, no one else has any context for it. So <laughs> you can't really convey it. This is one of those for me. Um, I have a like a pile of the, the old role playing books, which are really cool. Um, I don't know if they're playable, but they have a lot of neat ideas. Um, so this is going to be one of those episodes where I. Uh, have to struggle against just chiming in with all of the things that I know about the concept uh, so that we can at least get through the page.
1: <laughs> and uh, conversely, uh, Rachel, I'm going to assume this is totally new to you.
2: Uh, it is like I'm coming in with no context whatsoever. I think I might have even missed the detail that it was based on a role playing game. I probably should have picked up on that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that as a first page, it's really interesting in that it's Written in a style that's deliberately obscuring any clues about the world that you're in. And so, yeah, I'm a blank slate, and I'm really excited to learn about this and to tell you what at least what I thought about it. <laughs> and to find out how correct that is about um what's actually happening in this world and in this book.
0: yeah. these this is uh, one of those examples of like a game and a set of fiction that were published in tandem. like the books mm. and the game came out more or less at the same time as part of a, a collective marketing push.
2: So the books were to promote the game and vice versa, to kind of build a little wheel building for it. Yeah. To get you interested in playing it. Yes. Which is very interesting. Because, like, so my... I can tell you that from reading the first page... I'll tell you what I what I think it's about from the cover and the first page. Mm-hmm. How's that? Would it be yes. fun? For no... So no context whatsoever. Yeah, give me the um, no context page. Yeah. So I definitely... Got like that whole horror of the unknown that we're in some kind of like survival apocalypse setting where the things are, they are stalking us, whatever they are. Um, And the cover made me think that it involves time travelers. So you've got the woman in the armor who's obviously coming from days when women were knights back in the past next to like James Bond with his, like, little gun, hmm. and then you've got the little alien creature in the back that's probably, like, maybe it, that's they, or maybe it's a loyal steed or something that they're all going to ride around on. Um, but, so that's kind of where where it is in my head, and I definitely think that whatever they are, maybe they, maybe they can fly. Um. <laughs> so, I don't know. So, how how correct am I? Is that what this book is about? Are we, like, a post-apocalyptic time travelers?
0: Uh, you are very close in the structure, but not Nearly weird enough. What? Okay. So <laughs> lay it on me. <laughs> Torg is a setting uh about a version of Earth that is being invaded by other realities, and the realities are all very like genre-y. So okay. <laughs> like particularly this first book uh talks about uh the reality that invades parts of North America, which is this like Barely caveman level, full of dinosaurs and lizard men, but different realities land in different places. So, England is invaded by a medieval fantasy reality.
2: As one does. Yep.
0: And then, like, Mm -hmm. I think it's like the Philippines, Southeast Asia is invaded by a Victorian horror reality. Oh,
2: my gosh.
0: Um, (laughs) I did
2: not see that coming. Yeah.
0: And then (laughs) uh, Egypt is hit with a pulp adventure fiction <laughs> and like all the realities have different rules like that affect them. So if you like, you will have trouble making your computer work in a reality that doesn't have strong technology and you will have trouble making your magic work. If you just go to like a a place that they refer to as core earth, which is any earth that is unchanged.
2: Okay. So you have to be within a the correct re- reality for the technology or tools that you're using, or else they're they're not going to work.
0: Yeah, you can yeah. like one of the neat uh, things in the rule system is you can uh, make effort to assert the rules of your reality over the reality <laughs> that you're dealing with. So, like
2: you can just insist,
0: like okay, <laughs> yeah, I need my gun to work right now. I'm really going to have to uh, pour my energy into it.
2: So are are there any realities that are invaded by anything soft and fluffy and completely harmless? And therefore you got the Care Bear realm where violence won't work because we can't do that on kids TV
0: uh, or, you know. There, there is not. <laughs> um,
2: okay, I figured.
0: Partly because it is an, like very much an invasion. It's a purposeful thing. Okay. So, yeah. you know, the Care Bear reality is probably off to the side, not Just being a bunch of ourselves. assholes.
1: Yeah. yeah. Each realm is, uh, is led by a high Lord who is attuned to something called a darkness device Mm -hmm. that Ah. allows them to uh, invade other realms. Yes. But also Vin, uh, you, you, you hit all the best worlds, Mm. uh, like the medieval fantasy, the, uh, the pulp adventure, the, uh, the, the horror world. Actually, I'm going
0: to say that I left out a couple of the best ones. (laughs)
1: Oh I, no, oh, I was going to say, I think you left out the worst ones, but okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I do want to put an asterisk on the, the horror world because the horror world is called Orosh, mm-hmm. which is O-R-R-O-R-S-H. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and if you look up this in Wikipedia, they will hopefully tell you that uh, Orosh is a, oh, what do they call it? It's a, you know, uh, an anagram of horrors. Yes. Oh. And it's like, it's not actually an anagram so much as just like a, a one character shift. Yeah. Uh since it's 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 horrors with the H at the end of the sentence, oh, it's just like but, but uh Okay, but
0: since you brought it up, I did leave out that France is invaded by a reality called the Cyber Papacy. What? Which is a like very based on Christian hierarchy and cyberpunk.
2: The space pope.
0: Like there's massive <laughs> well, religious computer networks.
1: And and what is that, what is that called? The The Cyber Papacy. You know, Oh no, but the, 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 the network, uh, is the, the Godnet it
0: is the Godnet. Yes. the Godnet. <laughs>
1: yeah. And then I would also add a Nippon tech as another, uh, like very of its time.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh a name uh, that has uh, been changed for the, uh, the recent re-release that they did of this game, uh, yeah, probably yeah. for good reasons. Although one of yeah. the, one of the neat things that they do with that, like, because Nippon tech, and I wish I knew the, the new name for it so that I would stop using that, um, is one of the ones that is like nearly indistinguishable from regular reality. Like it's slightly more high tech and a lot more conspiratorial, but like part of the invasion is that everyone has to plant like these physical objects to tether their reality. And in Nippon tech, they just make them look like ATMs. (laughs) So like in, in the, (laughs) in the like dinosaur North American one, they're like planting these giant grotesque plant pods. And then, in East Asia, they're just installing ATMs.
2: <laughs> Maybe we should just let them. I mean, you know. Mm. <laughs> well, I, I did not, I did not get anywhere near the scope and scale of that. Yeah. <laughs> from this first page, but like, I really loved this first page. I actually thought it was riveting.
0: Yeah, it was when I when I read it. I was like, oh, this is much stronger than I expected yes. from a thing that I liked when I was younger. Like, I was like, oh, this is going to be one of those things to drop. This is actually kind of a solid page.
2: It was, yeah, my expectations were low from the cover. And then I was like, I actually, I would, I would read more, like, without even, I wouldn't even think about whether or not to read more. I'd be reading more if you'd give me more pages. Mm. It was very compelling. And like, um, and it, it tapped into something I'm really into right now, accidentally. So, which, <laughs> so I, w- I need to tell you a little story about video games. I told you earlier that um, I wanted to wait to share this until we were. Recording. And what you have to know about me as a gamer is that I like, I'm usually always like five to 10 years behind in whatever I'm playing. Uh-huh. And then I also like to stagger my games. So I had like to have like, you know, really big games followed by little small games, you know, mm. casual stagger with your AAA games. And so I finished Breath of the Wild recently, which was a big game yep, where I, you know, went and completed every single thing and did all DLC. And then I was like, okay, now I need a smaller game. Something that's a little more casual and like, you know, just fun and fluffy. And somehow in the back of my head, I had felt like I'd been told by someone a long time ago that there was a game that was um, that was sort of like Minecraft, but underwater. And that game was Subnautica.
0: Mm, Yes, very fluffy and light.
2: Have you played Subnautica before?
0: I have played chunks of (laughs) Subnautica, yes.
2: (laughs) So, Dan, have you played this game before? Because if not, So here's what happens. So you log into this game. And um, everything's in fire and you've crash-landed on this water-based alien planet and immediately my character starts dying of thirst and starvation as I struggle not to also lose all my oxygen underwater as I'm frantically trying to find food to survive. And in the meantime, um, so I think I died really quickly within the first 15 minutes of the game of not finding any water on an ocean planet. Mm -hmm. Go figure. (laughs) And so... um, the game is, it turns out this is a survival horror game, okay? Mm-hmm. I was grossly misinformed that it was like Minecraft underwater. Like There is a little component where you build your base, but the game is terrifying. And like, yeah, when my, my first death, I had like, like in Minecraft, usually when you start the game, you go and you fill up your inventory with whatever you can punch out of the trees. Mm-hmm. So I had went down to the bottom of the ocean and grabbed as much as I could of what I found. And that was acid mushrooms so my had an inventory full of acid mushrooms as I swam around as like little sharks are attacking me and biting me to death. Um, the game is all about going deeper so it 's all about going deeper into the ocean and all about the crushing weight of the water over you as like scary things lurk in the dark and there's like brains with tentacles that like Use EMP blast to destroy, like to knock out all of your, your gear so you can't do anything against them. And there's like. Well, you're
0: trying to maneuver your submarine through a tiny underwater cave. Oh, God. And like every <laughs> time you bump the wall, you're like, oh, I'm about to die.
2: It is so scary. It's dark. Yeah. And they're like triggered by turning on your lights. You have to like kind of turn your lights on and little blasts to see where you're going, but turn them off before the, the brains see you. And then there's like these things called Leviathan Reapers that stalk you through the water and like. um. Like and like you will you won't know they're there until they grab your little vehicle you're in and like it's almost like like the face hugger thing on the screen where suddenly these tentacles are wrapped around you and you see its horrible little pinchers like coming at your face and um so anyway this is the game I got I I bought to relax mm-hmm. <laughs> and um playing it has been an experience of continued heart attacks but it has made me think a lot about the horror of the unknown and the unseen and the idea of you know, dealing with things that are where you don't know their motivation, you don't know what they want from you, but you just all you know is that they're scary. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe they want to hurt you. Maybe they just think you're a cool rock they want to pick up. You have no idea. And this um, first page took me to that space of like um, the really visceral terror of dealing with the thing that you can't placate because you have no idea what it wants. It's just all you can do is run. And I thought it was... Even without any context, like I felt like this was really evocative and took me to that kind of place, like of playing Subnautica and wondering why I'm doing this to myself. Hmm. (laughs) But that's kind of what I was thinking about when I read this.
0: Yeah. Our our first line that's a good lean into it is when they chased you, you ran. And this is uh, one of those uh, instances where someone liberally uses italics. So it's like when they chased you. Like small, simple, (laughs) very much gets the point across.
2: But like it definitely sets up stakes big time. Mm-hmm. And if you were a step too slow where you twisted an ankle and went sprawling in the hot sand, then you were dead.
1: <laughs> hmm. I think I, this will be one of those cases where uh, I uh, am less positive <laughs> about the page <laughs> Fair. than y'all, but, 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 but glad for the difference of opinion. Um, also, of course, I should say, I apologize for how I sound. I'm sick. So Again? if this if this <laughs> voice is weren't you just
0: sick years, like six I months ago
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'm uh I mean i was going to say that i'm I, I do have a sickly disposition and uh i would i would definitely not be able to escape them if they chased me mm-hmm. uh, But like sorry. a
2: victorian child
1: yeah yeah <laughs> uh but there's something about i mean I, I i i was totally into that first line uh even that first paragraph which i thought kind of belabored the point a little bit but like okay mm. i'm still there Uh, but in the second paragraph, when we, when we hear correction, if they chased you, you were dead already. Um, there's something about, maybe it's just the, the, the point uh, of view of this, but it just feels so removed at that moment that I was like, okay, so if, if they chase you, they'll get you. But like, I have no feelings about that at this point. It was just like, okay, like Mm. maybe, maybe they should get you. I don't know. Uh, like I, like I, I don't have any there's there's no stakes for me hmm. here. Uh again, this might be because I'm sick and the idea of falling in in exhaustion and being eaten sounds kind of pleasant, but uh uh but there, there's something about this that just kind of like uh it's it's not uh, what do I want to say? Well, it's uh, it's
0: one of those instances that I think like are starting to like we're starting to get over around the 90s when this came out, but like we see it a lot more in older things where there's brief instances of the narration having voice and perspective mm. that aren't consistent and it is pretty clangy. Like because well, most of this is is like has a tone but is sort of neutral. Whereas like that paragraph you say it's a correction. So there's like you get a sense of someone speaking and telling you that things are different.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: it, it felt very campfire story to me, you know like you're sitting there with a the flashlight under your chin and it's like you know correction yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it is like your, your, your dickish friend who's now trying to scare you well as there are sounds out there in the dark mm-hmm. yeah but I, yeah. I can see your point Ben like I, don't, I know that like using second person it's not really I think true second person Um, not at all but like you're right that it, it is a distancing sort of maneuver mm-hmm. <laughs> and, well, and an interesting th- choice
1: and then I think I, th- I think that's compounded by the fact that like the first person that we see is a a young man with light brown skin who's running. And like, there's a moment where like, we don't know what he's running through. And then we, you know, like we slowly gain like some, we, the, the image resolves a little bit, we might say. Uh, sorry. I just re-listened to our jaws episode, which talks a little bit about that, but there's something about like, Oh, like as he runs, we hear like a little bit more about the landscape that he's running through or the weather. Um, but I, I, I guess this, I wonder how this would hit me if it were, like you said, Rachel, like a campfire story. If there was something that was like, you know, like Bob was just finishing up his job at like the, you know, the, the convenience store, you know, going to his car and then he heard a noise and like, but like, I guess because we're dropped in the middle of something that is very vague to me, hmm. like I'm, I'm not drawn into anything yet here. It's just running from a monster and like, well, I can get that from a lot of stories.
2: In many ways, as a as a piece of writing, if you don't mind me being writerly for a minute here, I'm going to stick on a writerly cap. Um, I I have this thing about um ah uh, you know because nowadays we live in a very like visual media driven world with like movies and TVs being like a kind of primary form of like the way that we pass on uh, stories in our culture. Um, a lot of times you see that influence in certain kinds of writing, and I think this is a really good example of that. Where to me it opens. The way a movie would, um, which isn't necessarily the way that you open a story. So, you know, written mm-hmm. stories had different conventions than um, movies do, and movies use visuals, visual language, to tell stories and to communicate emotion in certain ways, often really effectively with very few words, because you know, a vi- you know, a picture's worth a thousand words, and that you know, when you you look at a thing, your eyeballs take in a lot of things all at once. But the problem with the written word is that you can only read one word at a time in order. And you can never read more than that. Like, it's always, you know, no matter how fast you read, you're still going to be reading things in order, which means the sensory details are introduced to your brain in order instead of like all at once, like, read. So, that's all very, like, kind of brainy um, uh, and <laughs> off on things maybe I'm only interested in. But I think that it's interesting how that can, depending on the order in which you select those details to present, um, you end up with a different effect in terms of like the context. Like, so you we, we were saying, Ben, like, giving the context of a person's name and who they are and a little bit of the situation before you launch into this visceral detail. Mm-hmm. And so that's why you kind of get the fact that you're right. When I finish reading this page, like, not a whole lot happens, but you you get a lot of, like, a sense of being in someone's body. Mm. But you're right that it doesn't give you a lot of emotional context other than fear for why we care about what's going mm. on. So
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely, like, imagining this, like, you, you can imagine the, the movie version of this. Yeah. Where, like, uh, it's a dark screen you hear someone panting heavily, right? Yeah. And then you, see, you see them, like, running. Like, you could even see, like, an outline running, you know, through the sand. Yeah. Um, and, like, even, even just hearing someone panting, like, you know, talking about video games, I remember, like, the first time I, like, I put headphones on and played Doom or something, and I was like, I have to take a break from this, like, very basic video game just because, like, the sound of, like, breathing in your ear of, like, <laughs> was just very uh, uh, intense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the thing. I yeah. I, I, I don't want to say that this left me cold because I think there is an intensity to it. Like you're saying, like, there's something about like, like feeling that like he's being chased, like there's monsters out there. He has to run. He can't run. You know, things are coming down. He can't do anything like there, there's definitely feelings there, but it's not connected to any larger narrative at the moment, which made me wonder if this was a prologue. Yeah, it's like it has that kind of cold open feel to me.
0: Yeah. It's like, it's strong construction, but with a soft hook. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like, well said, like, and that's what I mean. That's kind of what I meant when I say it was like better than I expected it to be. Yeah. Because like, I know all the hooks from this novel, but I expected like, hmm. or, you know, I was braced for the moment to moment writing to be like tie in novel bad. And it was better than that because this conveys like the fear and the, the physical, the physicality of it. Pretty well, um, but yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't lead with any of the things that make it unique.
2: Yeah, you're right. There's nothing. There's nothing in it. Mm, like he right. could be being chased by wolves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For all we know. But I, I want to give a really big shout out to the prose quality, like because I think that um, it's good. Like it's really like the fact that even if you look at the sentence lengths, like he does that wonderful, wonderful, beautiful thing where you alternate. The sentence length to give you that feeling of whether or not you're you've got the run on sentence for running really fast and not getting caught you've got the short choppy ones that give you that vis- visceral immediacy yeah great yeah I just think it's great <laughs> but yeah soft sorry Ben I think I cut you off what were you going to say
1: no no I was just mm-hmm. I, it is curious uh I, I was going to make a joke about um books where you can hear the dice clattering uh, yeah. in the background um <laughs> which like uh I mean, so we are all people who have some familiarity with tabletop role-playing games. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, Vin uh, is in a, a podcast uh, where they play. Um, Rachel, I think you have a game or two uh, going on. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> got all a right.
2: couple D&D games and a beat game.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> man, this really makes me feel like a slacker. Hmm. But, uh, <laughs> but ha- have you all ever read other tabletop role-playing tie-ins?
2: Mm.
0: Prob- oh, I've certainly read like oh. a lot of the TSR ones, like the Dragonlance. Yeah. Uh,
2: oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Dragonlance does count. I forget.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Speaking of the delightfully bad books of my childhood,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's funny just because I, I recently read uh, everything for a role playing game called Over the Edge, uh, the first edition, hmm. uh, which is a like Burroughs, not not Edgar Rice Burroughs, uh, William S. Burroughs Ooh. themed kind of role-playing game about a, an island where all this weird stuff is happening. Uh, and I, I kind of love it as a role-playing game. Um, but I read this one tie-in novel, uh, which was... Uh, it was just very funny. Like, like there there was one moment where a character, the, the protagonist, met someone who's, like, the head of the biggest uh, satanic cult uh, on the island, mm-hmm. I think. And he just, like, shows up. He doesn't say anything. Like, they, they have a little chat and then he goes away. He has no part in in the book except for like if you know the role-playing game rule books then you're like oh it's that guy yep um and it is curious how like i guess like i i wonder if well vin you know the books yep like you said uh like is there anything in this first page that is related
0: uh not i don't think so i think this is very much like a a tone setting this could be anything or yeah uh like leading us like because a lot of it it is uh as Rachel accurately guessed, very apocalyptic. Uh, and there are like a lot of sections where it's stories about survivors sort of banding together. So this is uh, like setting up that tone, but not uh, the details at all.
2: It's kind of doing that thing where it's the, the JJ J. Abrams and Lost thing where you want, you want, you want to tease the person with what you don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. Like,
2: like, don't you want to see what they are?
0: Yeah. Like there's a good chance this guy doesn't survive the scene. Uh, because I can't, off the top of my head, remember what character he is.
2: He's about to get eaten, mm-hmm. and thus probably solidify how serious they are as a threat. To whatever yeah. they are, yeah. he's about
0: to get eaten by a dinosaur, a vampire, or a cyber demon. I would guess.
2: Which would you most want to be eaten by if he were this guy? If you could pick, I mean, I feel I, mean, I feel like a end.
1: dinosaur is the fastest. Why? Why choose? I feel like. Uh... <laughs> a vampire dinosaur cyber demon. I uh, do <laughs> like the idea of a, uh, like uh, a vampire dinosaur. Who's like trying to be really careful, like, like a raptor. Who's just like, like, I just need to like cut you just a little bit for the blood, but just like with those teeth and claws just ends up always making a mess. Mm. And it's like, always drain- it, it always, it's always draining into the dirt. And he's like, ah, oh, I've got to go hunt another one. It
2: just, oh, no,
1: <laughs> it never ends. this is so inefficient. And that's, that's of course why they died out. Mm. Uh, that'd be a great conspiracy theory. Like, like, like dinosaurs were real, but they were vampires and that's why they died out.
2: Oh no. Mm.
1: <laughs> but how do you monetize that? That's the question. Anyway. Uh, yeah. This is just very, to me, like kind of open-ended in a way that like, I, I, I don't know if I would keep reading in a way. Mm. Like I'm kind of. Like I'm, I'm not so curious because I feel like this guy's going to get eaten, or he's going to get saved by someone who's going to be important. But then, like, in that case, tell me about the important person first. Like, I don't know. Or you, you know, what do they call it? The in, in Star Trek that like Worf is like the big the big badass, but he always gets like thrown around by other aliens to show how dangerous they are.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So like, so like we never see Worf actually being bad. Yeah. Like or, or dangerous. Like. He's just always getting tossed around. Uh, like, there's something about like they—they—they they, they haven't even set this guy up as like a tough person yet. Mm. We just know that he's being chased. Uh, so, like, I don't know. Like, you also, said that he
2: could be a wimp. It could be, yeah. you know, most normal people would not have this kind of problem. But Jim, like, <laughs> couldn't even run the one mile in gym class back in elementary school, and look where it's got him. Yeah. Like,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is this is this nerd shaming?
2: Uh, Ugh, I know, man. I feel called out. Mm. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I tried to run. I tried to run a mile yesterday. Uh, mm. Not 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 unrelated to reading this, <laughs> <laughs> but like in my sixth state, I was like, "No, I think I think I'll be eaten right about now." Mm. I'm like, "Okay, that's fair."
0: Yeah, this is very much like the horror cold open to something that, like, I mean, again, going back to Jaws, like there's that girl that we're never going to see again but it's about like the atmosphere and the setting but that's trickier to pull off a in prose and b in an rpg tie in
1: well that's i think actually maybe i wonder if judging by 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 Rachel's reaction a lot hmm. if part of what i'm expressing here is just like disappointment that we're not like already in the godnet hmm. in the cyber oh. fantasy. i'm like like why don't yeah. we get why don't we get to Wait, how, how did you put it then? That's a a soft hook. Yeah, like the hook is soft. I want, I want, I want, like to see the. I want to see like the rift open up and the land of dinosaurs come through. Yeah,
0: that's and, like, and I, I think that is this chapter, or like that is that is the first thing you see is the rift open up and the dinosaurs come through. Um, and this is, uh, from what I remember, one of those books that like jumps around a lot. Like every chapter jumps. Like back and forth Mm -hmm. between different characters in different, uh, like, like across the world, dealing with different aspects of the crisis.
2: So, I I'm curious. I almost want to try an experiment where of rereading this, but replacing they with the saber demons or Mm. the Catholic vampires or whatever. Like, (laughs) like and like, you know, does it suddenly like? I like, is this withholding of information just extremely curable? Like, could they just put a put a word in there? Mm. You know. Yeah, you know, when when the, the cyber demons chased you, you ran. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, I mean, part of it also, yeah, and again, this is this is me knowing what it's actually <laughs> like, what it's about is that like the early stages are about no one knowing what the fuck is going on. So I see. that's an element uh, that doesn't like enhance the page, but like is a a thing that they're trying to deal with.
2: They they do want the fear of the unknown. They yeah, know, they want. Poor Rachel playing subnautica and thinking it's Minecraft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And-
0: <laughs> yeah, there's an item on their priority list that prevents them from diving into the juicy stuff.
2: Yeah. And it's difficult because I know that like there maybe there's a little tension here between the way the way a character thinks about a thing in their head and the way the author should approach describing it mm-hmm. in order to let the reader in on the fact that there's something going on, because I know that, like, you know, if I'm in my, in my thoughts when I'm playing Subnautica, it's what the fuck is that? Get away from me! Ah, <laughs> you know. But if you're watching a let's play of me as I as I'm narrating this, like, you would see, you know, a snatch of tentacles coming out of like the, the mist <laughs> or the foggy water as I like, you know, flip around and backtrack and badly ramp my camera so that you know everything's tumbled head over. Head over heels, and you know, this that disorientation. And I think that they, they do such a great job of the details in this opening page, like uh, in terms of putting you in this character's body. They probably could have given us a little more detail, like
0: yeah, like talking about something like Subnautica, particularly like when a thing is coming <laughs> from you, like even just in your periphery, you're getting a glimpse oh, of God. some like bizarre color combinations and shapes, even if you're yep. not getting enough time or angle to piece together what it is you're looking at Uh, and that is something that's missing from this page like you get wings and like a sense and maybe a bad smell but not not enough to be really evocative
2: you're right like I don't have any concrete I mean like I said they could be flying wolves for all I know
0: yeah and like (laughs) again like I know about five different things it could be but I don't remember which it is in this scene and and could not tell you with any degree of certainty
2: even as our resident expert, we can't diagnose which dimension this might even possibly be. Yeah. So we need, like, a little whiff of fangs or a little, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. even more of that terror of the unknown. Huh. I feel like if I found out the reveal were dinosaurs in this scene, I would actually be a little disappointed. Mm. it might just because I think dinosaurs are awesome and I would love to die by a dinosaur. I know.
0: <laughs> what is dinosaurs and, like, pagan lizard men? So.
2: <laughs> oh, never mind. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. So it's not just it the dinosaurs a, themselves.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> some some sort of uh, crossover with our our, our uh, first episode with Rachel about uh, the Wayne and the Green Knight. Hmm. This is, uh, yes, <laughs> dinosaurs and and green knights
2: uh, with the glowing green eyes. I do
1: love. I mean, it's funny because so reading this page, of course, sent me down a Wikipedia hole. Yep, uh, about Torg, hmm. uh, and then that made me think about like this sort of like multi-genre role-playing game where like like Rifts. different worlds were colliding. Yeah, it was Which
0: it was a very like in the mid 90s you were getting this everywhere.
1: So like but like so there was this and Rifts. Yep. Uh by Palladium, but like I don't know. Well, I guess Dream Park maybe was another uh example. Mm. Dream Park is, you know, like uh actually takes place in a in uh, an amusement park where you can go on different rides, but those rides are like essentially holodecks. Huh. So you can in different things it was not uh well supported i don't think mm. <laughs> uh that might have been talsorian games i can't remember uh but yeah uh no wait i don't know i, I know mike pondsmith was related to it somehow but anyway uh this is uh not what people are subscribed for mm. me trying to remember mid-90s games
0: i do recommend uh, um just as an aside i pulled up uh i just googled torque books to look at some of the covers Mm-hmm. And was reminded of like the theme that they do, particularly th- through through the novels of just throwing a couple disparate people together in that central pose. It's like in this and we have like the knight and the businessman with the Uzi. And then in the second one, it's like a priest and a like teched out cyberpunk lady in a like a one piece. And then in the <laughs> third one, it's like an aboriginal man and a werewolf. I'm like
2: I'm looking at the covers now. They're cool. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like these again are like some of the the covers that are in that formative space for me, of like just like the weirdness of them.
2: I think if I would have seen this series as a kid, I would have loved this.
1: <laughs> yeah, like you definitely like you go to the library or the the bookstore and you're like, okay, like you have to choose. You can either have like a dinosaur book or a vampire book. <laughs> and then you're like, wait, Torque, no, those, those. I, I can have both with. This one book that's dinosaur vampires. That would be great though if, like, if your parents uh, were like, okay, you can have a book about like demons or the cybernet. Hmm. You're like, oh, <laughs> oh, wait, I can have a book about cyber demons. Uh, the poll. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, how many of these books do you have Ben?
1: I, so this is one of those
0: instances where like I had a few when I was younger and then like I went through an eBay phase where I was like, oh, okay. So, of the novels, I have the first two. I don't think I ever tracked down the third. Um, and then I probably have, like, a dozen or so of the of the source books, uh, which are all very cool, even if, again, I don't know how playable this game actually was <laughs> because there's tons of systems in each one that are, like, unique to the reality. So, like, the fantasy reality has systems for, like, three or four different spheres of magic and like rules for writing your own spells and oh my the cyber papers. has like <laughs> elaborate, like net running rules.
2: It's a, a very meaty game. Yeah. And so you, you could imagine a campaign where I'm, I'm assuming the idea would be that you'd be playing people from different realms or people like, yep. Um, and so everyone in the party, would kind of have to be their own specialist on their, their complete different sub RPG within the RPG they're playing. Mm hmm. Which could be really fun with the right people, but yeah. yeah, It's always the challenge with role-playing games, like finding people who are all on the, the, the exact same level of um, calibration you are for what kind of experience they want, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> I'm wondering, um, you know how like every RPG has like one class that's for like the, the normie who is trying to learn an RPG, who wants like the easiest possible system. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, what, what's that class in this game?
0: I mean, I think it's, I think it's the businessman with the Uzi on this cover.
2: <laughs> Business assassin.
0: <laughs> mm. I'm like, if I remember, I, I'm not going to attempt to fish this book out of oh, the closet. No. <laughs> um, but like a lot of the, there's like a, a decent variety of core earth character templates where like, some of them are like, you know, the businessman, with the Uzi or the like, some of them are like, oh, you're like. A vehicle specialist who specializes in like getting stuff around in this new climate of like constantly being beset on all sides.
2: An extreme UPS driver. Mm. Yeah, so I, I could, love
0: it. Like, there's definitely like a number of basic ass humans who still have strong flavor as like apocalypse survivors. <laughs> I
2: love it. Have Have you seen Sense Eight before?
0: I it's it's sitting in my <laughs> Netflix queue.
2: This is, this is such a, a minor tangent, but like, you know, unsensate, like um, everyone inside this telepathic community has like some kind of like special, awesome talent. Mm. And there is one guy whose talent is that he drives the bus really well. <laughs> <laughs> and he drives the bus and whenever anyone needs to drive the bus, they tap into him and he can jump in their body and dry, drive the car really well. And I kind of love that. like. Mm. <laughs> So like that this allows you space to be the be that person to be that amazing bus driver who's just gonna yeah get to where you need to go
0: mm-hmm.
2: what would your um your secret talent be in this world then like if you were a normal human mm. or would you be the guy who gets mm. eaten in the
1: first page I mean getting eaten by dinosaurs is also a valuable talent i think uh uh getting sick uh
0: yeah like you know podcasting <laughs> <laughs>
2: Extreme. You know, someone's
0: got to get the podcasts out.
2: You know, someone needs to be that—that that the radio-free wasteland person who's yeah. disseminating the information, right? Mm-hmm. And what would you? What kind of information would you be giving on this this podcast of the multiverse? Like, would you be entertaining the troops and trying to keep spirits up, or would you be like interviewing? We've now had this person come over from this new rift, and they're going to give us the skinny on what's um, how we're all going to die next. <laughs>
0: Uh, it probably end up being more like news commentary (laughs)
2: like snarky news commentary like um
0: (laughs) yeah you know snarky survivalist news commentary
2: here comes the space pope
0: (laughs) Mm. have you seen this guy come on
2: (laughs) how about you Ben what's what's your role in this universe
1: uh living archive of RPG uh, information (laughs) only vaguely remembered though so, someone would be like, quick, I, I I need to know, like, what was that sword called? I'm like, ah, uh, is that the Vorpal sword? Or was that, uh, wait, I, I, I'm, <laughs> Consult the manuals. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of the rod of seven parts. Never mind. That's a different, that's not a mm. sword at all. <laughs> Sorry, I, I was also, uh, trying to look up something here. Uh, did, did you all see the, um, the samurai, uh, Abraham Lincoln math that someone was doing uh, online recently?
0: What? Uh- oh. Yes. Uh, yes. So
1: the um the, the samurai were officially abolished as a caste in Japanese society during the Meiji Restoration in 1867. The first ever fax machine was a printing telegraph invented in 1843, uh, and Abraham Lincoln was assassinated in Ford's Theater uh, in 1865, which means there was a 22-year window in which a samurai could have sent a fax to Abraham Lincoln. It's right. beautiful. I saw that the other day, and it, it, it sort of had that that ring of like uh, like multiple worlds colliding.
2: Mm-hmm. Thank yeah. you, thank you for that, Ben. It's, I'm glad whoever on the internet did that. You're a good person, and you should feel good about your life right now.
0: <laughs> Even though your identity has probably been erased by layers and layers of retweets,
2: you know, you know what yeah, you did. Yeah. That's the important thing.
0: Yeah, if you're tweeting, then what, then you're doing it for society, not for yourself.
2: It's the only reason to tweet, you know. <laughs> yeah yeah for the good or or evil of society i mean you can do it either way Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) also this this book and these games came out firmly in the uh the uh fascinated by samurai period of uh uh western culture Hmm. which i don't know maybe we're still in just seems like i think we circled back around as we do like everyone smiles someone's like it's like Will have nothing to do with samurai, but then like someone will be like, Oh, but he has a katana sword. Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because
2: hmm. of course he does. Yeah,
1: yeah the yeah. the era where the katana was
0: defined as the default weapon of
1: cyberpunk. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you got the, the RPG logic where like, you know, sword beats gun and you know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh wait, should we Speaking of guns mm-hmm. and swords, uh we're coming yes. up on on time. In fact, we're over time. Should we talk about mm-hmm. the Dune trailer that is now months and months in the past for any of our listeners. Is there a new trailer? Uh a couple days ago, I think. I haven't, oh, seen, I haven't this. seen it. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> Might be one for off the air.
1: <laughs> Shot down or
2: katana down. Just like,
0: just like, <laughs> Are there katanas in Dune now? I know what you're saying.
1: Like if Dune was written twenty years later, right? If it was uh, mm. eighty five instead of sixty five, yeah. Yeah, there would definitely yeah. be katanas in Dune. Oh God now you're oh, right. like, like wait i just have to i just have to jack my i have to I have to I have to jack into this uh into the sandworm yeah i'm hacking the sandworm yeah
0: mm-hmm. and then if it was written 20 years after that it would be about like using your your natural psychic communion mm-hmm. with the sandworm because you were born with the ability to commune with animals we should, we
1: should, <laughs> we, we should really be updating dune for like all times and all uh, subcultures
2: well, then the sandworm could drive the bus for you if you needed to,
1: you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note. I mean, the sandworm <laughs> is the bus, right? Uh, so, yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, God, it is.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so- yeah. On that note, <laughs> Rachel, where can people find you online?
2: <laughs> yeah, you can find me at Rachel K. Jones on Twitter, where you can hear more of my opinions, good and bad, about a wide variety of media. And you can also find a lot of my short fiction there. So please come over and join me. Give me a follow and... Yeah, tell me what your role is going to be as a to- totally normal human in the multiverse <laughs> apocalypse.
0: Thanks for joining us on Dark and Stormy Nights. I've been your host, Vin LeBate. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Reciprocity, and you can find the games that I write
1: at Mr. And I've been your other host, Ben Blatberg. You can find me on Twitter at InCatastrophe. For show updates, corrections, and occasional bouts of actual research, subscribe to our monthly newsletter at monthly.darknightsreads.com. For everything else, follow Dark Knightsreads on Twitter or visit darknightsreads.com. And we'll meet you back here next time, weather permitting.